This morning we're continuing in our study of words of life. These words, and uh, for maybe if you're new, you haven't heard, I, where, I don't know if there's any more flyers on the front table or not, but of the whole year, list of the whole year, the words that we're going to be studying this year. And one of the words that we're going to talk about today is creation or create. I thought about which word to pick here. Uh, this is an interesting word. In, of course, as we think about create, we think about our usage of the word. We have a lot of synonyms to make or to build. Uh, and, and when we think of create, typically maybe we're thinking about arts. An artist creates arts. And, and that's true. The Bible uses the word in all those different ways, about things that we make and things that we build and things that we create. But there are, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, one word each, a Hebrew word and a Greek word, that are reserved exclusively for God, that are not used of an artist or a builder or an architect or uh, whoever. Uh, but these words, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, that are only used of God creating. And it's a specific kind of creation. When you think about the artist who makes a piece of art, they are creating in a sense, but in the sense of these words that we're going to talk about today, they are not creating. They are reshaping. They are reorganizing, re-remaking. They are taking something that already exists and making it into a new form. And that form is new, the, the art that is the, the ink or the, the paint or the oil or whatever, the paper or even clay or whatever, taking something that already exists and reshaping it into something that, that is new, a new form. That is not the words that we're going to be looking at today. The words that the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers reserve exclusively for God is to make out of nothing. A very different kind of creation. So first, we must consider what God has created and why. What did God create out of nothing and why did he create it in the first place? And create is the first act in the Bible. The first verb from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first activity of God that has any bearing on us. Now, I don't know what God was doing for all of eternity before we existed. Like, you know, he exists forever. So all of those it, years is a weird term because time didn't exist yet. But all of that, that time that he was around before us, what is he doing? I don't know. I don't know what he's doing before then. Anybody who says they know has no idea. The first action that matters for us is his act of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing in the Bible that is done is the creation of all things. Uh, Genesis 1.21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. I picked this verse because it uses that word create again. This idea of making not just random stuff, but he makes in order. There's a, an organization to his creation that he is creating things after their kinds. There's, there's going to be some replicability, right? This creation that he has made is going to persist. It's not a one-time act, but it's something that's going to continue. And of course, I want to note, God saw that it was good. And then, of course, the pinnacle, 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. Of course, the contrast between humanity and the sea creatures and every creature that moves in the water and the birds and all those things, there is a difference between them and us and that we are created in God's image. We are 
the artist putting himself into the art in a very real sense. So whether or not the, uh, while neither the Genesis story nor the wood itself is explicit in this idea of, of creating from nothing, we understand that that's what's going on here. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And, of course, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He looked around and said, let there be light. They were created by the word of God. This creative power of God is the thing that makes him God. In essence, the thing that makes him God is his ability to pull matter and substance out of, I guess it would have to be out of himself, wouldn't it? To put us into existence because of who he is. Now, he did not create without purpose, of course. And the verse that was read for us, the reason I picked this verse, is the, the sort of focal point of God's creation. Not a random act, not just chaotic, not just because he wants to, but there is a reason for creation. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is, and I like these parentheticals. You don't get a lot of parentheticals in Isaiah or in the prophets in general. But Isaiah 45, 18 through 19, as if there is a sort of a third party reading this and interjecting here. For thus says the Lord he created, who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Pause there. He made it. Why? So that we would live here. So why are we the pinnacle of creation? Because we are, in essence, the, the center of the reason for creation. That we would inhabit the thing that he made. Now, why, that, why is that? There's a reason for that. The second part here. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. And the, the, the quotations are interesting here about, because uh, the, there's, no, there's no punctuation in the text itself. So I kind of think it should be, the, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me. I did not say that in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. What is he speaking here? He says, seek me. Why? Because he wants to be found. He is available to be found. And the reason of creation, the whole focal point of creation is that that which he made would seek their creator. That we would seek the one who made us. That is the reason we exist. The whole point of this business is that those that God made would have a relationship with the one who made them. You feel it, I feel it, we all feel it. The desire for meaning and purpose and longing and belonging. This, this void that is within everybody, we seek who made us. Romans 1, 18 through 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? This truth. That there's a God to be seeking. That there's a God that we can find. That's the truth that's being suppressed here. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Why did he make the universe the way that he made it? 
Why this form? Why this earth? Why this rules of physics? Have you ever thought about that? The rules of physics could be different. Why this thing? To show us who he is and to lead us to him. For although they knew God, oh, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That contrast in the beginning, right? The thing that God made versus, of course, being made in his image. Even our own substance are not two hands, two legs, and a body, or a head. I don't think that's what God is talking about there, right? But that, that ability within us to reason and to think and to love and to have compassion, that points us back to God. And of course, what do we do with it? We turn it around and say, oh, that's not that important. Let's worship this, in their case, the images, the graven, carved images. In our case, could be any number of things that we worship ahead of God. Maybe we're not thinking about worshiping at all. We're thinking, God, there is no God. So they are without excuse. All of creation points back to him. It's the reason we exist, to seek him. Now, as we understand that he made us and that the point of that, we must understand, of course, that God's creative work is not over. It's not like he did it one time. He created the universe and now he's done. And this is, of course, the uh, deist mentality. That there is, there is some sort of deity who just sort of created the universe and set it to work and then he just sort of abandoned it and left it to, to its own devices. That's not how God presents himself. There is a continual creation that takes place. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For Christ is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace in that, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What, what is he talking about here? This is the Jews and the Gentiles. The, these are the, the, the different sides here. The two men that are made into one. Those who are separated from God by the ordinances, the law of God. And, and uh, of course, Larry, totally coincidentally, he, he made this point when he's talking about covenants, right? They were, they were commanded, do not make a covenant with these other people. You've got to be separate. That's how it used to be. But God is now creating in himself harmony and peace and unity, and reconciliation. And we are being forged and created into something really out of nothing. This bond that, ex that exists between us, it didn't exist before, but has been brought into existence by the cross. That I have peace with you, and I have harmony with you, and I have love for you, and affection for you, and, and there's this great harmony between us because of what Jesus did on the cross that would not have otherwise existed as God continues to create on a group level but also an individual level in Ephesians 4 verse 20. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now there's an interesting parallel as we go through this. In the beginning, what does he say? In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we ruined that. And here he's returning us back to what that was. Created in the likeness of God. Perfect, holy, pure. Which they had at the beginning. 
They mucked it up with sin. Devil, of course, is part of that. And now all of his work after that is to recreate the thing that we broke and destroyed and got rid of. Our purity is being remade always through Jesus, through his righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself, uh, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In a way, all of God's work throughout history, every single thing that God has done, is an act of creation. Because every single thing that God has done is in service to this idea of reconciliation. He made us in the beginning to seek him. And then he does everything after the fall. Everything from the beginning of the Bible. After, after Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, after they sinned the first time. Everything after that is leading to this new creation, isn't it? To this reconciliation that we find in Christ. All of the things that God is doing is part of this redemptive creative act. First, of course, creating all things from nothing, but then continuing to recreate and remake what we have broken. That's the God that we serve. The only one who can do that. And so as we conclude, finally, God has promised to create again. He created the beginning. He continues to create every day in our lives, creating and forging us into his new creation. And he has promised that he will create one more time. Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, every part of creation, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The, the creation itself, subjected to futility. We'll talk about what that means. In hope that creation itself will set free, be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In the garden, he creates all things. He says, it is good. No sin, no death, no decay. No aging. I suspect entropy was not a thing in the garden. No entropy whatsoever. I suspect every, if we're really getting technical about it, I suspect every reaction had no lost energy. Perfect harmony. But after sin, he subjects it to futility. Now things break. Now we age. Now we die. Now things wear out. Things have been put out of perfection. Why? To point us back to his perfection. To point us back to the thing that is going to come. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, of course. And this goes back to Hebrews 11, right? We know that God made that which is visible out of that which is invisible. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm waiting. Oh, man. I'm not patient sometimes. 
because I just want it to come and I want to be done. What are we waiting for? Isaiah 65, 17 through 18, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things should not be remembered or come into mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and his people to be gladness. There's a double meaning in this, of course. The restoration of Jerusalem in the original, but then, of course, we're looking forward to something new, right? Second Peter, he says it as well. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, heaven and earth and everything that exists, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This version of creation will go away. The point of this version of creation is to create an atmosphere, a place where God's creation can seek and find him and develop a relationship with him, where we can choose for ourselves, am I going to do what God wants or am I not? Am I going to seek him or am I not? Am I going to just live for myself or live for something bigger than myself? That choice that is presented to us. The whole center of reality God wants us to seek him. That's going to go away. Be done. Including all of the suffering that goes along with that, right? The suffering that the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. When that happens, everything that now exists will be gone. The pain, the worry, the doubt, the suffering... And we will get something new, something better, something awesome. I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that? I'm excited about that. But with that excitement comes what? The warning. What Peter says, right? Since I know that the new creation is coming, what? What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness now? as we wait for the new thing that's coming. I hope that you're living that kind of life, that you're ready for the new thing when it comes. I'm excited. I'm, I'm ready for it to be here. Are you living a holy and godly life? If not, let's make it right. Make it right today so that we can be ready if the new thing should come this afternoon. Wouldn't that be awesome if the new thing came this afternoon? I, I would be so eager for that. If you're not ready for it, though, Let's make sure 